Come, they told me, pa-rum-pum-pum-pum. A newborn king to see, pa-rum-pum-pum-pum, our finest gifts we bring to lay before the king. So to honor him when we come, pa-rum-pum-pum-pum. Merry Christmas, church. It is so good to be here celebrating this special time of year, this Christmas season with you as we celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, men and women, boys and girls, probably of all ages, recognize those rum-pum-pum-pum lyrics at the start of the teaching as part of the classic Christmas carol, The Little Drummer Boy. Now, Nick and I actually thought about playing a little Justin Bieber version of that, but we opted not to this morning. Now, in case you're not familiar, this old song was written from the perspective of a poor little drummer boy who was invited to visit the infant Jesus along with the wise men or the magi, these wealthy men who came from the east. And in this song, the little drummer boy, recognizing that in comparison to the magi, in fact, what, in comparison to what anybody might have been giving to Jesus at the time, he had little or he had nothing and felt he had no contribution to make, nothing to give. Little baby, the lyrics go on, I am a poor boy too. I have no gift to bring that's fit to give our king, pa rum pum pum Now friends, if you really believe that the drummer boy was an actual part of that first Christmas, I hate to burst your holiday bubble. We got to face the reality, though, that this drummer boy showing up at the stable account, well, it was simply made up. It didn't happen. I know, I know, I'm sorry. Honestly, though, it wasn't very realistic either. I mean, what new mom wants a drummer of any age playing their drum anywhere close to their resting baby? You know, as much as some of us might like the song and as many warm fuzzies as it might give us and as much as it might keep our fingers drumming and our toes tapping, I know it's just a sappy story song. And even though I confess it was probably one of my absolute favorite carols or Christmas songs from childhood, I know there's no drummer boy. But when the song is sung, when those words are spoken, as the song uses these actual events of, of the wise man coming to see Jesus and kind of it embellishes it then, it um, well, kind of you know, tweaks our emotion and, and, and draws us in. Well, at least it draws me in. But regardless, though, in its simplicity, it's easy to see how in the midst of the greatest occasion of earth, that the birth of Jesus, that this little boy's joy, as reflected in the song, was probably missing. His excitement had been taken away. His hope was being lost, even though that story is simply made up. But what isn't made up is the fact that in the midst of the greatest season of the year, that because of experiences from our past or circumstances of our present or uncertainty about our future, our joy can become missing. Our excitement for life can be taken away and our hope for the holidays can become lost. And also what isn't made up is that the accounts and the events surrounding the birth of Jesus are part of the greatest story ever told. And that the depictions of a family far from home delivering a baby in a stable, why those things can give us hope in our uncertainties. And what also isn't made up is the idea that the words and the depictions of a baby placed in a feed trough, safe and secure, give us hope and give us security. 
even in our uncertainties. And what also isn't made up is that the words and depictions of God himself coming to earth, being foretold by angels, being foretold by prophets can give us faith when ours might be a little bit weak. Still, I wonder in the midst of the celebration of Christmas, you see there's some debate about who wrote this song, Little Drummer Boy, but I wonder as we consider that Christmas time, if maybe that person who wrote those words, maybe they found themselves in need during the holidays. I wonder if maybe they found themselves caught up in the busyness of the season, if they were feeling the weight of the struggles of life, if they were having feelings of doubt, of worthlessness and inadequacy, and they weren't sure what they had to offer to Jesus. And I wonder if their depiction of that little drummer boy was all that they needed to provide for them hope for the holidays. Shall I play for you, pa-rum-pum-pum-pum? Mary nodded, the ox and lamb kept time. I played my drum for him, I played my best for him. And then he smiled at me, me and my drum. Me and my drum, rum-pum-pum-pum. Friends, I'm confident that as we look at our own lives, no matter our age, no matter our stage in life, you and I, we all need hope for the holidays. Now, if you're a child in the room, maybe life for you isn't always lots of fun. Maybe mommy and daddy fight more often than you like. Maybe you argue with your brothers and sisters or disobey your parents and you wish that you didn't. Maybe you're glad for a Christmas break because school isn't always very much fun. Maybe you don't feel like you're the smartest person or the most talented person or the funniest person in your class and you kind of wish that you were. For those who are a little bit older, I, I wonder if you're glad for a break because you didn't make the grade or you didn't make the team or you realize that you don't have a chance at that scholarship. Maybe you saved up your hard-earned money to buy that car and then you turned around and wrecked it. Perhaps people close to you have died. Your parents have split. Maybe you've lost some friendships, made some poor choices, even betrayed your parents' trust. And for others, maybe we realize that the marriage is crumbling and the finances aren't what we wish we were and there's a lump and we get a call from the doctor saying, you need to come in soon. Or you get that call from the school that says your child is in trouble again. Or maybe it's when we hit that certain age of life where we can't see as well, can't ride as well, can't walk as well. When you can't drive at night or can't drive at all. You don't leave home without the walker or the cane. When all you can do is watch while others are doing the heavy lifting. You know, when people let you down, when life lets you down, when your choices let you down, when your health lets you down, all of us, we need hope. We need hope for the holidays. And when you don't feel smart enough or talented enough or moral enough or religious enough, when your contributions of time and effort and energy just don't seem to matter enough, you need hope for the holidays. Today's Christmas Eve teaching um, actually wraps up a series you've been doing here at Fork. And so if you've missed the two previous weeks, I encourage you to go online uh, and check those out. Give them a watch or give them a listen. But in these teachings, we were encouraged to stop, to breathe, to take a moment, to savor the season. And that advice was so needed 
My experience myself, just in the past couple of weeks, whether it was from talking to people in small groups or conversations with family members or talks with folks in the lobby or prayer time with staff or phone conversations, it's abundantly clear that especially right here, right now in this season, we really need the hope that is Christmas. But see, the truth is that not just in this season and not just us, but all people need to be reminded that we can find hope in the holidays. See, we can be reminded as we were last week of Jesus' plan, his purpose, and his mission. We need to be reminded of Jesus' ancestry. We need to be reminded of his royalty. We need to be reminded of his humanity. We need to be reminded of his deity, that he is God. And as we stand on the eve of the celebration of his birth, I want us to be reminded that for us to find true hope in the holidays is that we need to understand his invitation to us and we need to respond to him. When it came to the birth of Jesus, most of us, well, we know the Christmas story, right? Mary was pledged to be, jo- to, to be married to Joseph. She gets pregnant, but not by Joseph. It's God's baby. And then there's a census. And then Mary and Joseph have to travel and there's no room from the inn. And the baby is born in a barn, right? God becomes one of us in a place reserved for the animals. The star pointed to him. The angels announced him. The shepherds told about him. But there's more to this story. And sometimes we... Don't always remember this one. It's Matthew records for us in Matthew, the second chapter, starting in verse one. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. Oh, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, verse six. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared and he told them, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. And after this interview, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and it stopped over the place where the child was. Verse 10. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, of frankincense, and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Now, some would tell us and they would argue, and it's probably a valid point that this is the first example of the practice of giving gifts at Christmas. And it may well be. Although I think the better gift was the one where God gave us Jesus in the form of a baby. But you know, when we think about it, there's something special about gifts, whether we're giving them or whether we're receiving them, I mean, would you agree? Don't we all like to receive gifts? Anybody doesn't like to get gifts? 
I mean, even if that isn't your primary love language, right? Even if that's not what really speaks love to you, rare is the person who will ever turn away a heartfelt, meaningful, thought-out gift, right? It just won't happen. Now, I know just talking to people around this time of year, some people, when they get gifts, they like to receive those gifts that are exactly what they want. There's those things that are on the wish list, maybe things they would never buy for themselves, but they really, really would like to have. And they're really excited when they get them. Now, other people, though, they're kind of the more practical folks, right? The gifts that they were hoping to receive or that they like to receive are those Things that they, not the things that they want, but the things that they need, right? Those things that you might buy for yourself, but they are the things that people give you that they need. Now, I think about the movie Polar Express, and I don't know how many of you have seen that one, but there is this know-it-all kid in the, in the Polar Express movie, and um, he rummages through all the gifts, and he, and he makes this comment. He says, all I got was one present, and all I had was a bunch of stupid underwear, Right? He's one of those people that didn't want to get the gift that he actually needed. But sometimes, though, there's that moment that stands out when we get a gift so meaningful, a gift so memorable, so life-impacting. Sometimes we get a gift of so much value and worth and it amazes us because we never even knew that we wanted it or we never even knew that we needed it. I'm confident that that Christmas morning uh, or during that Christmas, that early Christmas gathering, whenever that was that the Magi showed up at Mary and Joseph's house, that they were not expecting foreigners to come bearing gifts. In fact, they weren't expecting anybody to come bearing gifts. Certainly not these guys from the East. But Mary and Joseph get this knock on the door, unexpected, a greeting from strangers with a foreign accent, with unfamiliar faces and unfamiliar clothes and unfamiliar smells, Right? These magi or these wise men. Now, some songs will say these kings, we'll call them kings, right? We three kings. First of all, we don't know that there was three and they probably weren't kings, but that's okay. They were rather, they were wise men. They were scholars, astronomers, astrologers. They were magicians, if you will. Magi, magician, right? We get that word there. They read the skies. They gazed at the stars. They studied history. My guess is they probably read up and studied all the tall tales and legends to see if any of them were true and how they matched with the things that they were seeing. But see, when they saw this evidence of a new star, there we, they were sure that there was some substance to it. There was something about its splendor, something about its place in space that stood out. It had to be of great significance, so they sought it out. Now, Matthew doesn't give us a lot of details, so there's some things we have to speculate on. We don't know. We don't know why they came. We don't know if their government sent them as ambassadors. You know, it was their duty to, to find this new king, right? Their king sent them out, perhaps. Perhaps if the new king knew that their old king knew there was a new king, they wanted to make a connection, right? They wanted to form some bond. They wanted to, you know, forge an alliance, you know, develop a truce. You see... Neighboring kingdoms often did that so they would never end up going to war together. And nice gifts are a way to make peace after all. And oh, after all, Jesus was the king. Matthew doesn't tell us, so we don't really know, but maybe these men were acting out of faith, right? We read that when they showed up that they worshiped Jesus. So I wonder if perhaps, you know, as they were studying the scriptures and hearing the stories that they had come to expect that there would be someone who would actually come and bring salvation to earth. And so maybe they came bearing gifts, perhaps as a way hoping to purchase their salvation, or maybe just to say, 
thank you for it. Again, Matthew doesn't give us lots of details, so we really don't know who funded this mission, right? Did these wise men, did these magi simply pool their money? Did they get prompted by God's spirit and didn't even know it? And they put together their resources and they got their food and they packed their camels and they got their treasures and they traveled west? Not 100% sure what they were getting into or even what they were gonna see when they got there. But they got there. They had a rough encounter with Herod, the reigning king. They upset the priests and teachers of the religious law. It says they disturbed the city of Jerusalem. I'm not sure I ever caught that before, but all of Jerusalem was kind of messed up because of this news. Matthew tells us that the wise men went on their way and they were guided by the star to Bethlehem where they entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary. Now, just from the timing of things, it's highly probable that they were too late for the birth right? They were too late for the barn. They were too late for the smelly animals, but they were just in time for the party. And at that point, it didn't matter what brought them there. It only mattered who they found there. Catch that. It doesn't matter what brought them there. It matters who they found there. And Matthew records these words, and they bowed down and worshiped him. That's really easy to gloss over when we start talking about the gifts that they brought, but this is what they did first. They bowed down and worshiped him. Now, I don't know what brought you to this service. Maybe it was the urging of a loved one. Maybe it was the invitation of a neighbor. I don't know if you're here because it kind of feels like it's your duty, it's your responsibility, like this is the one service of the year that you're not gonna miss. You know, maybe you just felt like for some reason you needed to be here today. And I don't know what you're expecting to find when you got here. Certainly some Christmas carols, you know, some lighting of some candles, perhaps even some pause to savor the season. When we think about those magi, the wise men, no matter what their reason for their visit, no matter what the expectation was that they would find, no matter where they found themselves in their faith journey, when the magi, when the wise men encountered Jesus, when they encountered God wrapped in human flesh, when, when they encountered the hope for the holidays and hope for the world to come to earth in the form of a baby, their response, they worshiped him. They worshiped him. Now, I don't know what your reason is for being here. I don't know what you expected to find. I don't know, again, where you are in your faith journey, but I pray that as you encounter your hope for the holidays through Jesus, that you will choose to worship him. Matthew goes on to say, they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, perhaps it's in this part of the story, or this part of the account, where we might feel a little bit like that drummer boy that the person wrote about, right? I mean, how can we give to Jesus? How can anything that we give to Jesus compete with gold and frankincense and myrrh, like treasure chests full of this stuff? See, it can't. It won't. And honestly, what we give to Jesus shouldn't. You see, Jesus isn't after our gifts. Jesus came to give us hope. He's after our worship. He's after our hearts. He's after our lives. Thinking about these gifts, it's been said that the wise men's gift of gold was to represent the recognition that Jesus 
was king, that he was royal, that he was worthy of following, that he was worthy of serving, that he was worthy of obedience. And so I ask you, in your hope for the holidays, is Jesus your king? If so, our gift to him should be nothing less than our surrender and recognition that he indeed is king, that he indeed is Lord of our lives. The second gift was frankincense. And scholars will tell us that this was a representation and a demonstration of the deity of Jesus. That he was God in flesh. He was Emmanuel. Not simply a babe in the manger, but God who both creates and sustains life. Frankincense was used as part of the worship in the temple. A worship of God. And so I ask you in your hope for the holidays, is Jesus your God Because if he is, our gift to him should be nothing less than our full devotion and worship of him. And then there was myrrh. This was the stuff that was used to anoint bodies for burial. This is not the thing you bring to a baby shower. It'd be like showing up with embalming fluid, right? Not cool. It seems so out of place as a baby gift. But in recognition, this was a realization and a demonstration that this baby would someday grow up to give his life for our sins. Matthew records for us later in the book, not only the death of Jesus Christ, but the resurrection, which is probably the most important of all. Because the resurrection from the dead proved that he had the power over sin, proved that he had the power over death and the ability to forgive us and bring us new life. And the announcement to Mary and Joseph made by an angel proclaimed to the shepherds by angels, right? An angel again speaks to women at the empty tomb. Matthew 28 says, the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead just as he said he would happen. Come and see where his body was lying. And now go quickly, tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. My friends, this gift of myrrh might seem like the strangest and most obscure gift for a baby. But I wonder if it is the one that should give us the most hope for the holidays because it was in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we find our hope. See, the wise men gave it recognition as the value and worth and life-changing significance of death. And if you believe that Jesus went to the cross for your sin, that no matter what you've done, no matter where you have been, no matter why you came today, that your hope for the holidays comes because Jesus died on the cross to save you. And if you've never allowed him to be your savior, then your gift to him should be nothing less than the recognition that by his death on the cross, by the power of his resurrection, that you and I, that we can have our sins forgiven that we can be made new because of the hope in a manger, we can be saved and we can have genuine hope for the holidays. And I encourage you, if you've never chosen to allow him to save you, that you would reach out to him. I would love to have that conversation with you uh, after the service is over today. And you and I then, as we find our hope for the holidays, I want to remind you, I want to remind you that the salvation that came through the birth of Christ, it is a gift so meaningful. It is a gift so memorable. It is a gift so life-impacting, a gift of so much value and worth that until we experienced it, we never knew how much we wanted it or how much we needed it. Yet it is ours for the asking. It's ours for the keeping. 
I want to wrap up this morning with a quote. Um, I don't believe that I have ever quoted the Pope before ever. But Pope Francis had some really cool things to say about the Magi. I think it's fitting to close out our teaching with that this morning. He says, it is not enough to know where Jesus was born as the scribes did if we did not go there. It's not enough to know that Jesus was born like Herod if we do not encounter him. When his place becomes our place, when his time becomes our time, when his person becomes our life, then the prophecies come to fulfillment in us. Then Jesus is born in us. He becomes the living God for me. And today we are asked to imitate the Magi. They do not debate, they set out. They do not stop to look, but they enter the house of Jesus. And I love this last line. They do not put themselves at the center, but bow down before the one who is the center. And I would add, he is the one who gives us hope for the holidays. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much of your invitation to us to enter into a relationship with you, to see you as king. And if we don't see you as king today, I pray that you would help us to to see that, that we would find our hope for the holidays, recognizing that you are king. You are worthy of loving, serving, worshiping. That we would see you also as God, that we would recognize that you are worth giving our entire life to, to be obedient to, and to worship. And that we would see you as a God who brings about salvation, and that we would experience that, that we would accept that, and we would allow that salvation to give us our hope for the holidays. And Jesus, born as a baby, giving his life on a cross, rising from the grave to show that he had the power over sin or death. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.